0: is inspiring sports stories with Mark Duffield on SEM. Thanks to Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything.
1: Yes, this is inspiring sports stories. Thanks to Bower and O'Day. And today we're going to be talking to netball legend, Nat Medhurst. Nat, welcome.
2: Thanks for having me.
1: What's keeping you busy these days? (laughs)
2: Well, there's my husband, Sam Butler. He's um, an absolute handful, I tell you. I've got two young kids. So I've got Edison, who's three, and Harriet, who's about 16 months. So I've got those two, so two under two, which was, that was a real, that's a blast. And now I'm working at WA Cricket as well. So I'm working with the women's program as a player development manager. So that's, yeah, it's all keeping me pretty busy.
1: Progressive organization now the Wacker. yes <laughs> yeah <laughs> let's go all the way back to the start you're born at Warachnaville in Victoria
2: yes Warachneville so I was I'm a Victorian um, so mum and dad it's a very small country town um, mum and dad were publicans and so um, bought or grew up in a pub um, but I was only there till I was about three years of age and I think Matt Rosa, is also from there as well. So, But yes, yeah, so I was only there for a couple of years. I've got an older brother, two younger sisters, and then I actually moved to Country SA from there, which is, I guess, where I really, I guess, grew up as a young kid.
1: So what we call a small country town in WA and what they call a small country town in Victoria, two different things. So how big is warwick Nabil?
2: Um, I would say it would be a few hundred people. Um, it was a big, it was predominantly a farming community, so a lot of them were obviously a bit further out of the town. But the actual town itself was very quite small. Um, I would say probably more pubs than anything else as <laughs> there usually is. Um, and then the town that I grew up as a kid was um, a place called Millicent. It's right down near the Victorian border in South Australia, um, and that were again a lot of farming. Um, people there and there was around, that was a town of about 6,000.
1: And of course, sport is always such a big thing in country towns. So what sports did you gravitate to? Was it always netball?
2: No, um, it was quite an interesting one. Netball actually wasn't really on my radar um, for a while. As you said, sport and country towns go hand in hand and I did everything from Little athletics, basketball. Basketball was actually my main sport. I played that all year round. Um, I did tennis. I even had a crack at cricket at school for a little bit. I did hockey. And then, yeah, there was netball as well thrown in.
1: What uh, got you introduced to netball?
2: I didn't start netball until I was in about year six or year seven. And it was just at school because your friends were playing it and it was just something to do and something to be a part of. Um, As as well, a lot of country towns as well, football and netball go hand in hand. And um, my dad, he was involved in the footy club. Uh, I think he was vice president. He used to do a lot of the scoring, very hands on. My brother played footy as well. And so um, then I just sort of tagged along with that because that, as I said, just sort of went hand in hand and what you would then end up doing on a, a Saturday morning during winter.
1: So you, were you any good at these other sports that you were trying, like basketball, like cricket?
2: Yes, yeah, so, um, cricket, I didn't really stick at it for too long. I used, I did a lot of little athletics and I used to do a lot of representative stuff in the city. I believe I actually still – think I still hold a under-13 high jump record. Um, so – and then um, – their basketball, I also did um, did state basketball. So that was probably more where I wanted to go. And people always go, or young kids always go, oh, you know, did you always dream of playing netball for Australia? And the answer is no. I wanted to play basketball for my country and go meet Michael Jordan. And that's what I wanted to do. Um, but I did have a natural talent as well for, for netball and um, did a lot of representative sides, country, regional, tournaments and all of those sorts of things. And then it just sort of got to a point where netball started to, to take over.
1: What about your schooling while this is going on? Where are you going to school while all this is happening? that
2: no? um, So my primary school, I went to a Catholic school in Millicent. So that was called St. Anthony's. Um, but I guess when netball really started to take off, um, I was going to a school in Mount Gambier. So I used to catch the bus. It was a 50K um Bus, bus trip out to school and went to uh, Tennyson College um, out there and that was a, a great school. Um, I remember my PE teachers were just phenomenal in supporting. me. I mean, I think they were really the ones that encouraged me to start trialling for these representative sides and Um, state country teams and all of that sort of thing, which I think really opened up the door and exposed me to that next level up. Um, We played the competitions of country netball as well were really, really strong. Um, But yeah, that's where I did my school. I must admit, PE was certainly one of my favourite subjects, um, probably up there with English biology not keen on science or maths at all. They were not my strengths. But, um, yeah, I think I was really fortunate with the teachers that I had around me that really, I think, um, nurtured my schooling but also um, then that co-curricular side as well.
1: So academically, what were you leaning towards? What what did you want to be when you grew up apart from a sports person?
2: Uh, I wanted to be a marine biologist, actually. Um, I loved it.
1: Like George Costanza in science.
2: (laughs) 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 So my aunt, who I have... Um, enormous respect for. She's kind of like my big sister. That's what she did. And um, I wanted to, I guess, somewhat follow in her footsteps. And to be honest, at that age as well, I didn't even know that you could be a professional, particularly a netballer, because being in the country, you weren't exposed to netball at the elite level like kids are now. So, you know, I guess that wasn't really a, a dream of mine or really knowing what even the pathway was to get there. I was just going about my business, you know, putting myself forward in teams, playing netball, getting driven eight hour round trips to Adelaide. Um, yeah. So there was still certainly, I guess, that focus on study, your education and um, I guess other things that you wanted to do outside of your sport.
1: I don't know whether it was the same when you were coming through, but when I was a, a kid at school with netball, they'd have all these carnivals and then to be teams picked out of carnivals and then they'd go to carnivals yep. and there'd be teams <laughs> picked out of that. Is that how it worked for you?
2: Yeah, that was exactly how it would work. You'd go to tournaments, um, you'd always have like a – Number scribbled on your leg, um, and then there'd obviously be scouts walking around watching. And you, as you said, you'd get picked. You'd play in one tournament. They'd then pick another, I guess, talent ID team. You'd then go on to another one and get picked, and then go to a um, another training camp and those sorts of things. So, as I said, I was really fortunate because mum and dad. Um, I actually grew up in a pub. Um, so for about the first fifteen years of my life, my mum and dad, when we were in Millicent, they owned the Somerset Hotel. We lived there. Um, And being publicans as well, their workload was huge. Like they worked long hours. It was stressful. um, But, yet, they still managed to find the time, as I said, to drive me particularly to Adelaide. It was a four-hour trip from Millicent to the city. um, And to do that almost regularly for, I guess, probably about two, three years straight till we moved to the city um, was, yeah, enormous by them.
1: We'll take a break there and we'll come back to talk uh, to Nat about her graduation into Elite Netball. This is Inspiring Sports Stories thanks to Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything.
0: This is Inspiring Sports Stories with Mark Duffield on SEM. Thanks to Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything.
1: This is Inspiring Sports Stories thanks to Bower and O'Day. We're talking to Nat Medhurst. Nat, you're at Millicent. You're a teenage netballer. You're emerging. When did the the big time come calling for you?
2: It was probably... So we moved to the city end of... From, moved to Adelaide end of 1999. Um, I did my year 11 and 12 in the city at um, Mercedes College. And I think that's when it really... I think it was quite eye-opening. Because I remember being a country kid and I remember people saying to me, I was so laid back, I was horizontal. So I just... <laughs> used to go through the motions very easy going and then getting to the city and the intensity, I guess, that surrounded netball just went up a completely different notch. You know, the number of training sessions, um, expectations, all of those sorts of things, trialling for sides. Um, And it was probably when I... um, made the sassy, so the SA Sports Institute team, and Marg Angove, some people out there might know, she was also the Adelaide Thunderbirds coach at the time. Um, it was back in the Commonwealth Bank Trophy days, which was a few competitions ago. And that was probably when it, things really started to shift because I was playing alongside players who were on um, either in the Thunderbirds squad or certainly next in line. And I guess it was from there that then she then put me into the Thunderbirds environment. So she invited me out to do a pre-season with them. And I was training alongside the likes of Catherine Harvey Williams, who was, you know, Australian captain, actually, at the time. Um, There was Jackie Delaney, Australian player, Peter Scholes, Nat and Laura Vomberto, all these absolute stars who were not only playing for their state, but also for Australia. And that was the most eye-opening experience to train alongside them. And then... I was really, really fortunate that, um, and I say this to a lot of people, that so much of someone's success can come down to timing. And I was coming through at a time where those players um, were getting to the end of their career. And I had that year that I'd been invited into the environment. I had a really good state league season. And then particularly Jackie Delaney, who was the goal attack, she was the goal attack for the Australian team as well, she retired and so there was an opening there. And I was also probably fortunate that another player who was I guess, in line with me for contention for a spot got injured. And so I then made my debut for the Adelaide Thunderbirds in 2004. And it all happened very, very quickly, I must admit.
1: That is a fierce competition, the national netball competition. How did you cope in that environment?
2: Surprisingly well, I must admit. As I said, I think the year prior of being invited into the Thunderbirds environment, they had been a very, very successful team. They'd won back-to-back premierships. They were always featuring in finals. The standards and expectations that they had within their own training environment, I think, really set me up with what was next. But as I said before, I was very laid back. So I didn't overthink things. Um, I didn't put huge expectations on myself. I knew it wasn't about me. It was very much about the role and I guess trying to just fit in with what else was there. So I feel like it was very easy for me to somewhat just go about my business. Don't get me wrong. I remember my first game was actually against the New South Wales Swifts, and that had Liz Ellison in the side. And, you know, we're talking, she then was the, became the Australian captain. and She's a
1: pretty fierce competitor. Yeah,
2: she's a very, very fierce competitor. <laughs> so, you know, I certainly was straight into it, but I don't feel like I was too far off from, from everything, which, dare I say, is the case for a lot of players in their first season, is they because people don't expect a lot from them. They don't really get a lot of respect from the opposition. So you can sort of just go about your business. And I actually think I went pretty well. 2005, I was then selected in the Australian uh, World Youth Cup side as well. And that's where it all really started to shift. And I think as well as a player, you start having, a, as I said, different expectations. But um, I think I was really fortunate as well with the side that we had in the Thunderbirds Um that I had just really level-headed, grounded players, people who worked hard, a great team, great coach, that just really allowed me to go about my business and do what I needed to do.
1: Tell us about that the World Youth Championships at Fort Lauderdale, Florida. That must have been an eye-opener for a country girl.
2: Oh, absolutely. Um, I actually remember my luggage didn't arrive, um, so I literally just had what was in my backpack and a toothbrush and Uh, some toothpaste for the first few days. And eventually that got up and obviously netball in America, they're not really sports that you think go together. So it was quite strange. And the tournament was actually run in a shed, um, a massive shed that they'd put a a court out there on. And, you know, that as well was my first experience to play against New Zealand, England, Jamaica, all of those sorts of things. And uh, it wasn't without drama. I remember the first final and it was to get into the gold medal match and, we were actually playing against New Zealand and I think there was one goal in it at the time and then the lights went out in the shed and it was pitch black. No one could see a thing. And I remember people screaming, oh, get behind the players, get, you know, get around the players. And I'm like, What is going on? And we actually had the ball at that time and we we're just about to right near the, the top of the goal third. And anyway, eventually the lights came back on. I think there was a quick warm up. Players went out there again and the umpires handed the ball to New Zealand. And we were all up in arms because, well, no, no, we had the ball. And we ended up losing by one go and missing out on a gold medal match. So, yeah, it was very, very memorable, that's for sure.
1: The start of the fierce rivalry with the Kiwis as well. Yes, that was it. So when I think of the Kiwi girls, I think of very physically strong, imposing sort of girls. And Jamaicans would be, I imagine, you know, Amazons, they'd be be big. How did you cope as a player? Um, You're not small, (laughs) but you're not... Gigantic, either. How did you cope in that in that environment?
2: Yeah, I think I was um, quite lucky in some regards. I've, you know, it's quite funny because people think I'm quick, and I'm not quick at all. If you look at my timings um, over a twenty metre sprint, I'm, I'd probably be one of the slowest. But I have good timing. Um, I think my court smarts, my brain, is something that. Naturally, I've always had. I've been able to read the play really well and find space. And so my timing was always really good. So I don't think I really ever found myself getting caught in too many body-on situations. But you obviously do get knocked around. And particularly as you progress, I think that was probably the biggest shift um, as a player from early on um, around your training to particularly around the strength side of things. And that really needing to be a focus for all players. Now, if you saw what they, how much time they spend in the gym, it's pretty impressive. And, um, but yeah, as I said, I didn't really put myself in too many, um, situations to get knocked around. Thankfully.
1: Were you a good trainer? Did you like the gym?
2: Yeah. Um, I'm not so much the gym. I must admit, I'm not um, huge on weights. So it's not my strong point, but I loved preseason weirdly. um, Maybe not right in the head, but um, I I did. I I love challenging myself. I always have and, you know, and still now um, love challenging myself. And I think I found pre-season to be um, really enjoyable from the fact that you could to see what, how much you could get out of yourself. And I think you learnt so much about yourself as a player, but also around your teammates and how people would react to situations when they were under stress. And I think pre-seasons, particularly those really, really hard training sessions, it creates such a foundation for you as a team with what um, you're willing to push and challenge yourself on and the way in which you c- communicate and, you know, support each other and how then that carries through to the season. So I loved it. I loved preseason. I loved really working hard, and um, and always have. And I, I, but sometimes I'd get quite frustrated as a player if I think people weren't matching me. Um, so yeah, sometimes I maybe didn't handle things as well with other people. But yeah. So were you vocal?
1: Were you a vocal teammate?
2: Uh, I think certainly as it progressed. I think early on, not so much. Um, but then I think I think certainly as I felt probably more comfortable, maybe became more of a senior. Person, yeah, I could get quite, quite vocal <laughs> at times.
1: <laughs> what, a, what about the mental side? Now you're a shooter, like you're a, a goal attack, which means your job is to shoot and not miss. And misses are big in in netball, aren't they? You know, yeah. like bigger than they are in basketball. So, how do you handle the mental side, and and how much training has to go into that so that you don't worry too much about the prospect of missing? You're focused on the the possibility of achieving as opposed to the consequences of missing.
2: Yeah. Well, shooters are always called the princesses and I trust you. I'll tell you, no one wants to be in our position when you've got to nail it and there's, you know, to win by one, but it's, it's an interesting one because you always get asked by people, well, how many goals a day do you shoot? And I must admit, I wasn't someone that would shoot, stand there and shoot two, three, four hundred goals a day. That just wasn't, me, it didn't excite me. Um, I think the big thing was I tried to, when I did shoot, I tried to put myself in a position that replicated a training environment or a match day environment Mm -hmm. as much as possible. So you know, I would shoot under fatigue. Um, There'd be consequences if I missed goals and it is very much a practice thing. Um, But as I said, I tried to put myself outside a comfort zone as much as possible so that when I was in those situations, I think mentally I was able to cope with it, to be able to execute under fatigue Um, because you're not getting easy shots under the post with no defensive pressure or no um, fatigue in a game. That's just not at all what shooters are faced with so for me that's more how I went about my shooting was around the quality of it um, and tried to put myself in situations and you know in when you're doing your training drills and that sort of thing yeah to be able to perform when needed
1: is there a different technique to being a good basketball shooter and being a good netball shooter
2: I think if you looked around the board, there's um, every shooting technique is very, very different. Um, And I think for me, because I was short on the netball court, I was um, quite small. So I really needed a high release on my shot. So I think if you look at mine, I shot from a, um, a high point. It always had a really high arc on it. Um, backspin is important as well because obviously you want it to drop in. We don't have backboards that we can (laughs) uh, rely on. It's got to go straight through the ring. So for me that was certainly a high arc and also just needing to work on things such as your back step to give you space if you needed a bit more leeway to be able to get over the defenders. So um, I think that is probably for most of the kids is learning to really get the release of your shot right.
1: We'll take a break there and we'll come back and we'll talk about Nat's international career this is inspiring sports stories and we're talking to nat medhurst we're brought to you thanks to bower and oday don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything
0: this is inspiring sports stories with mark duffield on sem thanks to bower and oday don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything
1: Yes, this is Inspiring Sports Stories, thanks to Bower and O'Day. We're talking to Nat Medhurst. Nat, tell us when the national selectors came calling for you.
2: Well, 2006, I was invited into the Australian squad as a training, just to come into the training environment. And it was also a Commonwealth Games year as well. So even though I was just, I guess, an invitee, um, when it became it came to the Commonwealth Games selection, they actually just opened it up that anyone who was there could have been selected I missed out 2007 though I was put into the squad and 2007 was a World Cup year and I made my debut in 2007 and then got selected for the World Cup later that year
1: made your debut against Jamaica is that right I did yes how'd you go
2: Um, I think I shot seven from seven. So I'm going to take that as a win. I think it was game two. So game one, they actually played in Melbourne and my family or my parents had flown over hoping to watch me. I didn't take the court. And then it was the next game in Sydney, which they didn't go to. um, And I came on, I think at halftime. And it was actually really nice because Nat and Laura von Vomberto, who were my teammates at the Thunderbirds as well, they were playing. Um, I got to make my debut alongside them. And even Sherelle McMahon, who, she, who normally played goal attack, she went back to goal shooter and she was an idol of mine. And so to make my debut with those guys around me was pretty special.
1: What sort of crowd were you playing in front of? What was the environment like, the atmosphere?
2: Um, it was... Loud, I remember that. Oh, I thought that was loud, actually. Um, And then what would eventually happen over my career just, I guess, blew that out of the park. I think Jamaica was interesting because there wasn't as much that rivalry that we have seen with Australia and um, New Zealand in the past. But, um, I mean, it was amazing. And uh, playing was something... I I mean, I obviously wasn't expecting to get picked. Playing was something even less so was what I expected. I thought I'd just you know, be watching from the sidelines for quite a while. Um, And, yeah, I just remember running out um and just feeling really comfortable at that point as I said I think the players I had around me made me just enjoy it all um but yeah the, the crowd was always really great
1: so the 2007 world cup is in New Zealand yes you play a pretty pivotal role in that as well in the final against the Kiwis tell us about that
2: yeah so that world cup had actually been pushed back to later on in the year because it was actually meant to be held in Fiji there was a military coup um and so, and then it got moved to New Zealand and pushed back to later on in the year. And um, I guess the main shooters in that side were Sherelle, McMarnock at Goal Attack and Cath Cox at Goal Shooter. I played a little bit during the tournament, but not a lot. It was mainly those two. Got to the gold medal match and we're playing New Zealand in New Zealand. So you can imagine the crowd in that situation um, in Auckland. Just absolutely incredible. Just deafening, absolutely deafening. And we had actually gone out to a pretty strong lead early on, and then Norma had Norma Plummer, the coach, had made a change. She'd taken Sherelle off and put Susan Prattley on, which people were not at all expecting that that change was going to happen. And then New Zealand started to claw back, and it was getting really, really close. It was only a few goals in it, and it was the fourth quarter, and I think it was about through, halfway through the last quarter. Um, Susan Prattley actually went down, and I was sitting on the bench with. Sherelle and Norma's stormed out onto court and she's yelled something out over her shoulder. Of course, you couldn't hear a thing. And Sherelle and I go, I don't know who she wants to warm up. So we both started just warming up together. Sherelle thought she was going on. I thought she was going on. And then Plum's like, Nat, Nat, you're on. And I, it was kind of good because I didn't have time to think about it. I think I thought, Norma, you've lost the plot. <laughs> you've officially lost it. What are you doing? Um... Went out there. There was another change. Sherelle ended up coming on at some point as well, back at goal shooter. Um, It was, I think, I shot three from three in that final. Um, And probably the saving grace was Liz Ellis with a rebound that she made in the last sort of minute or two. And we won by two goals. Um, Yeah, and it was just unbelievable.
1: How fierce is that rivalry with the Kiwis?
2: Oh, it's incre- it's I, I don't even know how to describe it because you've watched games and you always hear about it but to be a part of it and particularly in World Cup or Com games it just always used to go to the next level and there was never a game that I played in where it wasn't close where it didn't come down to a couple of goals or even extra time 2010 Delhi Com games that went into double extra time which we lost the next year 2011 World Cup it went into extra time again thankfully we won that Even uh, 2015 World Cup, that came down to three goals in the end. Um, And probably the really strange one was in 2014, the Commonwealth Games in Glasgow, and their side had been a bit depleted due to injury and you couldn't bring players in once the tournament had started either. And I remember there was five minutes left to go on the clock and looking up and we were up by about 14 and it felt weird it just didn't feel right being up by that many because it just had never happened before. And it was quite uncomfortable. He's just sort of like, hang on, are they going to come back? This just isn't right. Cause you're always having to literally fight to the last second and then some on many occasions. So it was just an incredible rivalry and it was irrespective of who was in the team, what tournament it was. Um, yeah, it was just remarkable and I, to be honest probably a real privilege to actually be a part of it.
1: Was there respect or was there a bit of hatred? Like what No, was the it, nature no
2: of it? it was respect absolute respect I think the way in which the two teams always conducted themselves um, the interaction with players both on and off the court was just remarkable I think as well a lot of them at some point came over and played in ANZ competition where Australia and New Zealand competed against each other so you actually got to know some of the players quite well but there was just tremendous respect and you would get out there you you know, obviously compete to an inch of your life, but do it in a way, yeah, that I think was entertaining for fans and just showed incredible sportsmanship and just great competition.
1: So did you have a goal defender that you played on repeatedly every time you played the Kiwis?
2: So there was probably two from New Zealand. So there was Casey uh, Williams or Casey Kapoor when she got married and she was just an incredible athlete. She was hell of a lot taller than what I was, but just athletic. And she was someone as well that I'd played through from that World Youth Cup. So our careers had gone alongside each other. And then there was another goal defence, Katrina Grant, who's same sort of, same age, we still have a bit of um, banter over um, messages and that sort of thing. And, um, yeah, they were certainly the two players that I would always come up against across the game.
1: Which is bigger, Commonwealth Games or World Cups?
2: Oh, it's an interesting one. It's And I think if you speak to any player, they have a different take on it. For me, I say World Cup. I felt there was just something a little bit different about it and a little bit more special. And I think focus put around it. I think there was a lot more pressure around winning a World Cup than maybe there was to a Commonwealth Games. But the Commonwealth Games was just so incredibly special because netballers as well, we don't get to be a part of an Olympic game. So for us, going and being a part of a wider Australian team, everything that that captures, obviously seeing other athletes. Yeah, that was incredibly special as well. But I think in terms of if you went medal for medal, for me, I'd say the World Cup.
1: Which one of your three World Cups, 7, 11, 15, which one's the one you remember best and most fondly?
2: Probably it's really hard because they were all incredible. But I think, look, 2015, because it was on home soil, came with a lot more different pressures as well and being pulled in a lot of different directions. So there was a lot of other things that that players had to deal with. But I think for me, 2011, winning it the way in which we did on on the back of a domestic season that had been condensed and was very taxing in itself. But to win after Delhi, where we had... As I said, lost in double extra time, to come back to win in extra time. Um, we had players who were making their debut in that World Cup. We'd lost Sherelle McMahon just prior to the season with a snapped Achilles. So just all of those things and the win and how and the Singapore crowd was probably the best crowd I've played in front of. It was just incredible. So yeah, I'd say 2011.
1: It's a wonderful city too, isn't it, Singapore? It's good oh, fun yeah. to be in.
2: It was. It was great. So good to get around. Easy for all the families to come over as well. Yeah, no, everyone had a had a good time and good time afterwards. <laughs>
1: <laughs> what was it like becoming a leader, a senior player in the group after starting off as the junior in 2007?
2: Yeah, it was quite strange. And 2011 was probably the year when that happened, or I felt that shift for me. Even it had been a few years in, I think when Sherelle went down, because... I'd felt somewhat comfortable in the Australian environment to be sitting behind her. Different domestically, where I saw myself, but when I got into the Australian environment, you knew your role. I guess I saw myself at that point as not being a starting player, that I'd come on off the bench, make an impact if needed, maybe play some of the lesser quality sides. But when she went down, I thought, I then became that person, that starting seven tutor, and I needed to really step up. And I remember Monia Gerard, who was in the team, one of our senior players, and she came up to me and she said, you don't need to be the next Shirelle. She's like, just be you. Like, don't worry about because I think that could have been something I really actually could have got caught up in in thinking I needed to be her. And I just went about myself, and I think that's when I really started to get a lot of confidence in my ability and what I could actually do for the team yeah so that was a it was a real mental shift and I think my ability to know I could execute um, how I could bring other people into the game as well and the role that I played and feeling a lot more comfortable within that
1: we'll take a break there and we'll come back and talk to Nad Medhurst about life after elite netball this is inspiring sports stories thanks to Baron O'Day don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything
0: This is Inspiring Sports Stories with Mark Duffield on SEM. Thanks to Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything.
1: This is Inspiring Sports Stories. Thanks to Bower and O'Day. We're talking to Nat Medhurst. Nat, you had a great international career. How did you know when it was time to stop?
2: I didn't. I got tapped on the shoulder.
1: I got told. (laughs) I got told. It's probably the best way to go, really.
2: (laughs) It was horrible because... 2017, I was planning to go through to 2018 Com Games at least, and hopefully 2019 World Cup. And I got a phone call in 2017 from Lee Alexander, who was a Diamonds coach. I was remember driving in my car and did not see did not see this phone call coming whatsoever. And because I was planning on going to Queensland to do some training with the SNC coach, and I think she just rattled something off a piece of paper because it was. Nat, uh, you've been dropped from the Australian squad, which means you're ineligible for Commonwealth Games selection and you might want to consider announcing your retirement from international netball. And I remember it as clear as day and I was like, what was the start of all that? <laughs> and it just shocked, as I said, it just completely floored me. It was a horrible experience to actually go through and things the, probably the couple of weeks after. So that's how that ended. Didn't love it. And I refused to retire and then... I guess from all my netball 2020, I didn't know whether or not I wanted to go through again. And then there was just probably, well, there was some things on the back of, I guess, the hub and a couple of comments. I was trying to get back after the birth of my first kid. They were in the hub in Queensland. I just went, oh, I'm just done with this. I just, not this sort of stuff. Um, And as I said, some of the things that were said just weren't nice. And um, so then I just went, no, I'm done with netball.
1: Do you feel... Are you grateful that you tried and kept trying, though? Because I guess in a career like that, you want to know it's all been put out there and you've dragged every last bit out of yourself. Are you, are you satisfied you did that in the end?
2: Uh, yeah, yeah, I am, From the particularly from the diamonds. And, I, you know, well, I played for Australia for 10 years, I think it was. Then my other career was a domestic career was about 17 seasons. And I felt like I did. I, it was obviously quite hard. You know, even I think looking back, because 2020 was such a weird year, obviously, for so many people and for sport across the board. So um, I'd gone through fertility treatment to fall pregnant, fell pregnant with our first Edison, and then tried to come back. And I was in a position to come back to play in the hub. Unfortunately, we weren't able to get Sam up there to join us. And I wasn't going to separate the family, particularly with the newborn and needing, needing help. So I also didn't finish, I guess, playing, which dare I say it is actually the way the case for a lot of players. You When you play your last game, you don't realise that is actually your last game. So, but I'm certainly glad, I think, that I did continue to play. But when I was around netball, when things started to go back to normal around 22 and watching people play, I was like, oh, I can still do that. It's not that hard. And that's when I sort of started to get the itch and go, Oh, maybe did I actually retire too early from domestic netball? And then obviously found my way back in fever again this year.
1: And the Sam you mentioned is obviously Sam Butler. He's a a West Coast Premiership player and uh, two grand finals at West Coast. How big a support was he around that time? Because he would understand. And Sam had his issues with injuries throughout his career. How strong a support was he at that time?
2: Oh, he's incredible and he's such a... Um, sensible human, which is frustrating sometimes, is just so reasonable. And but um, he was fantastic to use as a sounding board and to give advice and and a lot of times just to be there to support and listen. Which I think sometimes you don't need people as well in your ear. Um, and he was just phenomenal. And I think obviously with coming back as I did this year and juggling everything and kids, and he's got an enormous, um, enormously busy job that keeps him on the road as well but um yeah his support has just been unwavering and never questioned anything or think no you're not shouldn't be doing that um yeah he's he's been really great to have and as you said he gets it he understands what it's like the demands the pressures where your head can go at times so he's very good at also sometimes telling me to pull my head in if i do need it
1: so what's it like coming back and playing elite netball as you do now, <laughs> or at your age now?
2: Well, um, I won't mention your age. Oh, yeah, no, right. I'm, I'm, I'm nudging 40 in January, so that's terrifying, um, particularly when you've got kids that are not 20 years younger than you. It was quite a strange experience because I came back as a training partner, so there's only 10 contracts, and as a training partner, you're, it was, uh, I guess, quite a humbling and eye opening experience being in that role, Um, you sort of train your backside off with zero guarantees because the only way you get an opportunity to play is if someone gets sick or injured. It's never based on form. So the 10 can never ever get dropped. And as I said, my reasoning around coming back was I know that there were no guarantees and whilst I also wanted to help develop and support some of the young kids coming through, I thought if I can put myself in the best position to potentially play again, then I feel like I needed to do that and I owed that to myself. Um, and which I did, and then I think it was 1,350-odd days after my last game. Unfortunately, Sasha Glasgow, she got one of the fever players, got sick with COVID, and I got the call-up to play again, and I just loved it. It was just so great to get out there and play. Unfortunately, we lost by one goal, and that was probably the most frustrating thing because as a player, you can have the opportunity usually the next week to make amends, whereas I was straight back to the grandstand to watch from the side, and, yeah, that's was it since.
1: How's the body? Because netball, because there's so much explosive movement, then stop, hard floor. <laughs> it's not great for the joints. How, how is the body?
2: The body's good. Um, and Sam hates me for it because anyone who knew him from footy was he was heavily, heavily injured. He throughout. was a croc. Yeah, yeah he was, no. a um, he was <laughs> <laughs> spent a lot of time on the sidelines. So he hates me because I just have never had serious injuries. I've broken ribs before, which they certainly don't tickle, but haven't really had any knee or ankle injuries like that. Um, So my body's held up, held up pretty well. Um, Yeah, I'm now training for a half marathon for some reason, but yeah, Yeah. I've been pretty robust. Why? Just (laughs) something to do.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Which one's that? Which one's that going to
2: be? The Perth Marathon. So I've got, I've given myself seven weeks to to train for it, so not a massively long lead-in, but uh, start of October that'll be happening.
1: How many Ks are you doing a week?
2: So I think this week I'm in for around 20... I'm only doing three runs a week if I'm following the program, um, and this week I'll be getting up to around 26 Ks. Wow. Yeah.
1: What about your life... Other than netball now, you're working with WA Cricket. Tell us about
2: that. Yeah, working in WA Cricket. So I play a development manager for the women's program. Um, and I guess for me as an athlete, particularly around the wellbeing space and when we had a PDM that came in, um, the impact that they had on me and I know other players within the group was just enormous. So I've had a real, I think, passion around um, supporting an athlete and the wellbeing space and found myself here. I actually um, first started back in 2018 in a PDM role at uh, FRIO AFLW um, and then now at WA Cricket and I absolutely love it it's eye-opening I tell you what the resources and support that the cricketers get compared to netball very very envious um, but it's an incredible organisation to work with the players are, are phenomenal they're a diverse group but um, absolutely love working with them obviously WA Cricket's been pretty successful in recent years so everyone's up and about and I absolutely love my work and I think being able to support athletes and be someone that they can trust and talk to and open up and I can help guide um, in their off-field development and well-being is something that I'm I'm really um, enjoying being able to do.
1: Do you like where netball is at at the moment? Does anything about the sport concern you at the moment?
2: Uh, No, I don't enjoy where it's at at all. Um, I think there are a lot of concerns. Um, I think for me, obviously, still around the ongoing, um, not only the player agreement, but the team agreements as well, they're still not signed off on. Um, I think there's a real disconnect between the playing group and Netball Australia, which has probably been something that's been over the last three years and just seems to be getting worse, unfortunately, not better. Um, and I think it's been able to stand on its own um, in the past because it hasn't had the competition from other female sports and more so now off the back of the Matildas. And I think the investment, we obviously know the government's, you know, put out putting out grants of, you know, up to 200 million Um for grassroots sports, and I think a lot of that will go to, to soccer and to to other sports for girls. Um, so I think there is a big threat around where young girls are going to continue to, I guess, channel into. And, yeah, I think there's a lot of things around our sport that we do need to change. It's really hard to be an, a former athlete or somewhat current athlete Um, and to see the things unfold and I think the position that players are finding them in, it's, it's not enjoyable to watch whatsoever.
1: One last one before I let you go. What do you think needs to happen first to help right this?
2: Um, I've, look, there needs to be a way in which Netball Australia and the Players Association can find a way to work together because that's currently not happening. Um, it's the reason why contracts aren't being signed off on. It's why we've seen in the past the Aussie Diamond Stress get hold to ransom when they didn't um, announce the. World Cup team um, around signing off on things. And I think that for me is the first step that really needs to get fixed. And probably one of the other big ones is the way in which we market our sport. Um, I think there needs to be a broader approach to particularly adults. I think we're far too focused on young Kids, Um, I think we need to make it a lot more attractive to the broader population, and certainly an older demographic, to really get people tuning into our games. Because we know how many people watch it, uh, play the sorry play the sport, but we can't transfer that into watching and attending games. Um, So we need to do something there.
1: Natalie Medhurst, an absolute pleasure to talk to you, and uh, one of the most informative interviews I think of I've done for quite some time. Thanks so much for joining us on the show today. This has been inspiring sports stories, thanks to Bauer and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything.